Well, good morning, everyone. I want to thank you for spending a portion of your Easter with us here at Lincoln Hills Christian Church. I probably don't need to tell you that this is an Easter unlike few others. On a day set aside by Christians to gather um, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we are instead uh, separated. No preacher would plan it this way. No church would prefer it this way, but we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus all the same. We long to be freed from the isolation of our homes in much the same way our souls long to be freed from the spiritual isolation that we experience as a result of our sin. At Easter, we remember that Jesus' resurrection is a triumph over sin and death and ultimately over separation, separation that is from God. Perhaps God will use this strange season to help us appreciate all the more what Jesus' resurrection has accomplished, bringing two parties, God and humanity, who have been separated by the virus we call sin back together. This Easter is surely like few others, and this Easter message uh, will probably be like few others as well. You see, what often happens at Easter is believers will gather in buildings in Jesus' name, but end up worshiping themselves. And what I mean is this, Jesus is all for us, but he's not all about us. Today is the final message in our Jesus Is series of sermons. And over the course of the series, we've said that Jesus is challenging, that when he comes on the scene of our lives, we are forced to do something with him. We said that Jesus is missional and that we need to prioritize people the way that Jesus prioritized people. We said that Jesus is biblically sound, that he knew and loved the scriptures, and if we are to follow his example, we must be in God's word daily. We said that Jesus is for outcasts, that people who've been pushed to the margins of society were precisely the kind of people that Jesus gravitated to, to outcasts, to outsiders, to those who were just plain out of luck. We said that Jesus is impressed by childlike faith, that kids don't worry about viruses or pandemics, that they trust their parents to protect and provide for them, and our Heavenly Father is no different. He's got everything under control, and during this season of uncertainty, we should just lean into him and continue to trust him completely. Last week, Webby reminded us that Jesus is selfless and sacrificial. He didn't hold back when it came to sacrifice. He freely and generously gave all that he had. He gave his very life. And when we give in to him, the world around us will take notice and will be impacted in a positive way. Today, we're going to see that Jesus is all for us, but he's not all about us. And this idea can be a little bit uncomfortable if we're honest with each other. Maybe you've heard a preacher say at, at some point, or, or maybe you've read on a coffee mug in some gift shop that Jesus went to the cross because he couldn't stand the thought of heaven without you. Well, this sounds nice, right? It sounds like a, a good, positive Easter thought, right? This idea may make us feel good because it makes us the focal point of God's cosmic story, but is it true? Did Jesus endure the agony of the cross and bear the weight of our sin 
because we are so darn cute and cuddly? Or was he motivated by something or someone else? The very simple truth that I would like us to embrace this Easter is this. To love others the best, we must love God the most. You see, Jesus' motivation on the cross was to glorify God. And it's out of his love for God that we find ourselves blessed. To love others best, we must love God the most. What we see in Jesus' life and in, even in the way that he died was that his highest priority was to love God and to do his will. Our story, the story of humanity, can be broken down like this. Satan sabotaged God's will and brought chaos. Adam ignored God's will and brought suffering. But Jesus accomplished God's will and brought healing and restoration. What do I mean when I say that Satan sabotaged God's will? You see, sabotage is a deliberate action aimed at weakening something through subversion, obstruction, or outright disruption. One of my favorite movies, Batman Returns, uh, we see this kind of sabotage motif taking place. You see the penguin and his goons, his thugs, his minions, uh, they broke into the Batmobile and sabotaged its navigational systems, allowing the penguin to control the Batmobile even while Batman was in it. He, uh, he called it uh, an H-bomb on wheels. And the, the idea was that if they could control the Batmobile, they could give the appearance that Batman has turned into some kind of villain and destroy the trust and his reputation with the citizens of Gotham City. It's not just in Batman that we see this kind of sabotage motif. Do you remember what happened in the story of Cinderella? Remember how she strolled elegantly down those steps toward the front door, headed for the ball? But when her wicked stepsisters, seeing how beautifully she was dressed, but wearing some of their clothes, they began to tear them off of her, leaving her sobbing and in shambles. They sabotaged any chance that she had of meeting her handsome prince because they were evil and conceited and self-absorbed. In Genesis chapter 3, we find the seeds of another evil plot being sown. Satan, a name which means adversary, in the form of a serpent, approached our first parents. He suggested that, that God couldn't be trusted, but he could help open their eyes. Satan sought to set himself above the Lord to steal his glory and splendor and praise all for himself. He did this by sabotaging God's relationship with his children. In the garden, Satan planted a ticking time bomb. And when it detonated, it shattered the trust that existed between God and humanity. What looked like a harmless question on the surface, did God really say, was actually an incendiary device. And its shockwaves can be felt even today. Satan obliterated the trust that existed between God and his creation. And in the absence of trust, chaos runs wild. In marriages where trust has been broken, what do we see? We see chaos and we see uncertainty and we see unease. Let me see your phone. Who have you been texting? Where have you been? Why are you late? Where has the money gone? In the absence of trust, you have chaos. 
We see the same thing in countries where their elected leaders abuse their power. Historically, when citizens stop trusting those who are in office, chaos is soon to follow, resulting in coups, in overthrows, and in rebellion. When we don't have trust, the fact is we don't have much. This is what Satan was banking on. And so Satan sabotaged God's will in the garden, and it resulted in chaos. But Adam, Adam ignored God's will, and it brought suffering. See, those of us who are parents see this on a daily basis. We set healthy, good boundaries for our kids, not because we despise them, but because we want them to thrive. However, if you have a two-year-old, you know that two-year-olds want to push the boundaries to see how far they're able to go. How many of us have given our ch a child a, a crayon or a pen or a marker or something to write with and said, only write on the paper, only to find something like this? Not good, right? Judah is getting to the age where I don't want to constantly being hover, you know, hover over him, and I want to give him a chance to just kind of be. And so if he wants to go in the other room and play, I, I kind of want him to be able to do that without him constantly looking up and having to see me there. So a few weeks back, while I'm cleaning house, I think to myself, it's quiet. Maybe a little too quiet. And again, if you have kids, you've probably been there before, where you know that they're off playing and things get too quiet and too still, and you know that it's it needs your attention. And so that's what I do. I, I go and I start kind of looking for him to see what he might be up to. I go check in his room, and he's not there. Okay? So I go check in the living room, and he's not there either. Then I find him in his toy room, and he's playing. But I can tell that he's been in our baker's rack. And you know how I can tell that he's been in our baker's rack? Well, we keep a screwdriver in our baker's rack, and... What he has in his toy room is the screwdriver, and he's jabbing it against an outlet in the wall. All I can think to say is, child, are you crazy? And he just looks up at me, kind of surprised, and he smiles and he says, see? Here's the deal. You, you get what I'm saying, right? I don't want him in the baker's rack because I don't want him to eat AAA batteries or jab a, light, you know, a screwdriver into a light socket. It's not that I want to be an old fuddy-dud. It's just that in this particular case, I have a bit of insight on how best to live. And how best to live doesn't include eating AAA batteries and electrocuting yourself. That's it. He ignored Daddy's instruction, and he suffered a little bit. I had to give him these hands to curb his desire to do this kind of behavior in the future. See, parents want, want what's best for their kids. We want to spare them unnecessary heartache and sorrow whenever we can. But kids naturally want to push the boundaries. They ignore what we say, and it usually comes at a price. In Genesis chapter 2 and in Genesis chapter 3, we see this. Chapter 2 verse 16 says, And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then flashing forward to chapter 3, verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. 
she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. After Satan had sown his seeds of mistrust, Adam pushing the healthy boundaries that God had established for him and his family, he ignored God's will. The agony of Adam's foolishness is still being felt today. He ignored God's will, and we're still dealing with the consequences. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 lays out the sad truth. It says, When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience, and death was a result. And so, death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all humanity, because all have sinned. Genesis 3 goes on to describe the shame and blame-shifting Adam and his wife found themselves in after ignoring God's will. They were banished from their homes, and their lives were altered forever. The man is going to have to work hard for everything. Nothing would ever come easy for him. And for the woman, the beauty and the wonder of bringing new life into existence was going to be marred by pain and by suffering. See, Satan sabotaged God's will, and it brought chaos. Adam ignored God's will, and it brought suffering. But Jesus accomplished God's will, and it brought healing and restoration. Right there in the midst of the curses, God reveals how he's going to set things right. He says this to Satan in chapter 3, verse 15. He said, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. But what does, this, what does this mean? Who is the he that God is referring to? See, right here, God's plan for setting this whole mess right is revealed, and it's Jesus. Jesus will crush the head of Satan, but Satan will strike his heel. Jesus will deal a death blow, and Satan will have to settle for a single glancing swipe. Paul summed it up masterfully in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, saying, the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. This is the heart of the gospel. That Jesus came, he lived and died and rose again. And by doing so, he stripped sin and death of any power that they may have had over us. But it's right here that we must exercise caution not to place ourselves center stage or hog the spotlight in an attempt to steal the show. Jesus didn't die for us because we were so precious and adorable. Make no mistake, Jesus loved us desperately, but he died not because we were so precious, but because God is so precious. Remember Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Teaching the crowds in John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus put all his cards on the table saying, I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Recall Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Honoring God was the number one priority of Jesus, and accomplishing his Father's will was his mission. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, The Son of God came 
for this purpose, to destroy the devil's work. You see, Jesus loved God the most. And because he loved God the most, he was able to love us best, to give us what we needed and to supply what we lacked. Jesus was determined to honor God and accomplish his will. And as a result, we find ourselves to be the beneficiaries. Jesus, unparalleled love for God meant you and I could live and die with a hope of something better than anything this world could ever offer us. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 40, It is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. Satan sabotaged God's will and brought chaos. Adam ignored God's will and brought suffering. But Jesus accomplished God's will and brought healing and restoration. Jesus is all for you, and he proved it in the cross and in the empty tomb. But make no mistake, Jesus is all about God and accomplishing his heavenly Father's will. And here's why this matters for us on this Easter morning. If you want to know the secret to loving your wife the best or loving your husband the best. If you want to know the secret to loving your children the best or loving your fellow man the best, the secret is this. We love others the best when we love God the most. When we take to heart the gravity of the first and greatest commandment, we will then be able to joyfully accomplish the aim of the second commandment and love our neighbors as ourselves. This Easter is an Easter like no other. And our prayer here at Lincoln Hills Christian Church is simply this, that you would fall more in love with the real Jesus. That you would begin to see the world around you the way that he does, and you would respond to it the way that he did. When we do that, we will make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and accomplish the mission that we were given by Jesus before he ascended into heaven. I want to thank you for spending part of your Easter with us in worship and in study. And I want you to know if that we can be praying for you in any way, please, please, please send us a private message here on Facebook or email us at info at lincolnhillschristian.com so that we can go to God on your behalf with whatever uh, there might be going on in your life that we can be praying for. We love you so much, and we hope that the rest of your weekend is amazing and blessed. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, for the way that it instructs us and inspires us. Father, I just pray for our folks right now watching this message that you'll meet them right where they are, that you'll grab their attention, and that you'll pull them closer to you. Father, help us to fall more in love with you so that we can love those around us in the best way that we possibly can. We thank you for the example that you've given us in Jesus. We thank you that he loved you more than anything in all creation, and we thank you that we were able to benefit from that love. We thank you for rescuing us, for redeeming us, for calling us your own, for making a way for us to come back to you as holy and pleasing and perfect in your sight. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. Father, we love you. Help us to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, not for our glory, but for yours. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name.
life-saving, life-giving name. 